All right, let's open our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis 20. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech arose early in the morning, and called all his servants, and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham, And said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? For thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, and I said unto her, This is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and woman servants, and gave them unto Abraham, and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes, unto all that are with thee, and with all other. Thus was she reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech, and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we come into thy courts again this evening with rejoicing. We come before you, Father, rejoicing in Christ our Savior. Rejoicing in who he is and what he's accomplished for his people and why he did it and where he is now seated at thy right hand as our intercessor and mediator. Father, we have nothing about ourselves to glory in, but how we glory and rejoice in Christ our Savior. 
and we're so thankful that you've given us another opportunity to meet together and to worship him, to lift up and praise his name. Father, I beg of you that you would send your spirit upon us and enable us to do that. Enable us in this hour to worship you in spirit and in truth, to lift up the name of Christ our Savior. Father, give us eyes to see him. Enable us to to see and with quiet awe and wonder worship our God with grateful and thankful hearts. Father, reveal yourself to us tonight in your redemptive glory, we pray. And what we pray for ourselves, we pray for your people everywhere, wherever they meet tonight. Father, bless your word for thy great namesake and for the good of thy people. Father, in this dark, dark day, we're thankful that you have not left left yourself without a witness. And we pray you'd cause your glory to be seen in our day. And Father, we're thankful for the good report we've had on several who've been sick. We especially thank you, Father, for bringing Novi back home. Pray that you continue to strengthen, heal her body, and raise her back up to, to full health. We're so thankful that you've caused this surgery to go well for her. And we dare not forget, Father, to continue to pray for those who need you especially. You know each heart and each need. Father, I pray you'd be with your people. That you, we, we beg of you that you'd heal. But especially, Father, that you'd give grace sufficient to endure this trial that you've sent their way. All these things we ask, and we give thanks in that name which is above every name. The name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, I've titled the message this evening, Unbelief and Righteousness. Now, there are two natures in every believer. There's the nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit. We often call those two natures the old man and the new man. That old man, that nature of sin, he can't do anything but sin. And the new man, he can never sin. He can only be righteous. So both these two natures, this nature of sin, nature of unbelief, and righteousness, both always dwell in every believer. And our text this evening gives us a crystal clear picture and example of that truth. Now as I read this story, this chapter in chapter 20, it probably sounded familiar to you. And the reason it is sounds familiar to you is because it is. This very same thing happened just a few chapters ago. About 25 years prior to Genesis chapter 20, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah tried to pull the same stunt when they went to Egypt. Look back there at Genesis chapter 12. You know, they did this right after God told Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless them that bless thee. I'm going to curse them that curse thee. Abraham should have felt protected, at ease, at, at no worries, God's going to bless him. He's going to curse those that curse him, and bless those that bless him. Right after God said that, look what Abraham and Sarah did in uh, Genesis 12, verse 11. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, they said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me, but they'll save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, 
and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she's my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife and take her and go thy way. I mean, Pharaoh, the, the head of Egypt, which in picture is in, in scripture is a picture of sin and the bondage to sin, says Pharaoh told Abram, this is wrong. Why'd you do this to me? Y'all get out of here. Now you would think Abraham and Sarah learned their lesson, wouldn't you? You would think they would never do that again. And I'm sure that's what Abraham thought. When he got up and left out of Egypt, he thought, I'll never do that again. And over the next 25 years, just briefly consider Abraham's life and how God had dealt with Abraham. Lot, Abraham's nephew, had been taken captive. And the Lord enabled Abraham to take take, uh, 300 men and wipe out four kings and their four armies. Those 300 men wiped them all out. Rescued Lot, his nephew. Restored everything that was lost to the king of Sodom and all the inhabitants of Sodom. And at that time, the Lord met Melchizedek. Then, the Lord came to Abraham and told him, He said, Abraham, I am thy exceeding great reward. You have all these these riches and all this wealth, but I... Personally, I am thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham, I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And the Messiah is going to come through that son. The Savior of sinners is going to come through that son. Through your son. Then the Lord revealed to Abraham his covenant of grace. He told him about his purpose and his covenant, his promise of grace in Christ Jesus. Then one afternoon, the Lord himself with two angels came in bodily presence and talked with Abraham. They sat and ate. Abraham fixed him a meal and they they sat and ate. And the Lord talked with Abraham before he went down there to destroy Sodom. And the Lord stopped on his way and heard the intercession of Abraham and said, all right, there's five righteous. I won't destroy the whole city because you made intercession for him. He stopped and listened to Abraham. They talked as a friend, talks to a friend Face to face. I mean, you think about Abraham's life here. The Lord had blessed him, blessed him with his presence. He talked to Abraham and he talked audibly to him. He revealed his purpose and his covenant to Abraham. The Lord had, hadn't blessed anybody with that much revelation of who he is and what he's doing at that point of history that he did for Abraham. Now, after everything the Lord revealed to Abraham, Abraham knew the Lord better than anybody. I mean, he just revealed himself to him so much. You'd think Abraham would know the Lord well enough. I'm never going to doubt. I'm never going to fear. I'm never going to doubt the Lord. I'm never going to question him. Abraham never, ever, ever should have feared some man killing him. The Lord promised him a son. 
Well, Abraham's going to die someday. Not before that son's born, he's not. <laughs> he should never have feared this. But he did. But he did. Now, I know all sin is sin. You can't really categorize sin one worse than another. One sin is enough to damn us. Just thinking of telling a lie one time, that, that's enough to damn our souls for eternity. But if, if you allow me to say it this way, this time, this time when uh, he entered this, this place, it's, it's the, uh, the writers say this is the Philistines where, where he actually went to this time, is worse than the first time when he went down to Egypt 25 years ago. Because this time, Abraham is sinning against greater light. I mean, if you can say it that way. And you know, I thought about this this afternoon. We all have a particular point of weakness, don't we? There's just That's in all of us. It's, it's probably different for everybody, but everybody has this point of weakness. And it's very interesting to me that Abraham, the father of the faithful, his weakness seems to be the fear of men and doubting the Lord. And he's the father of the faithful. Well, I don't know why I'd expect me or you to be any better. <laughs> now, Abraham was a righteous man. I know that he was a believer. He was a man made righteous, not by his actions, but by faith. Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. But Abraham was still a man in the flesh. What? He was a righteous man, but he still had a nature of sin and unbelief too. Unbelief and righteousness both dwelt in this man. Every believer here can identify with that. So I have three points I want to, to show us from this chapter. Number one is this. We only worship the Lord. In the three persons of his Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now the nature of flesh that's in us always wants to look to the flesh, to find something to admire, something to admire in our flesh. We want to find something in our flesh that's, that's admirable and trustworthy, that, that we think is good and will commend us to God so we can trust in that. The flesh is always trying to do that. And that's the believer's civil war. Isn't it? As long as we're in these bodies, the, the flesh is constantly trying to get us to do something we can take credit for. Something that we can trust in for some way that we can contribute to our salvation or for our righteousness. And the new man, he's constantly warring against that as hard as he can. Say, nope, it's all in Christ. Look to Christ. Rest in Christ. And not only does our flesh want to look in that for ourselves, our flesh also wants to look at other people in the flesh. And we want to, uh, we just love them. We admire them. And so what we end up doing is making them out to be better than they really are. And we can take that to the extent, and I've seen it happen many times, that we turn it into hero worship. Now, we ought to think of others better than ourselves. All of us ought to do that. But not to the point that we put them so high up on a pedestal, we, we hold them in awe and in, in a way kind of worship them. We, we consider them to be a super believer, somehow on a different plane, more righteous and closer to God than I am. We, we put them there. And whenever that happens, it's so dangerous because here's, here's what happens. 
We take statements that our hero makes. And we make it gospel. I mean, we make it, we just hold that as dear as the written word of God. Whatever our hero thinks is right or wrong, whatever our hero thinks is what somebody ought to do, boy, we hold to it. I mean, we even if it's not found in the word of God at all. And I'm sure everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Didn't Isaiah do that with King Uzziah? God had to kill King Uzziah before Abraham, before Isaiah could see what's going on. So when the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Word of God, He inspired each of these men to sit down and write the Word of God, the Holy Spirit wisely made it so we can't make a hero out of any of the main characters in Scripture. The Bible never seeks to cover the sin and the weakness and the failure of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lot, Eli, Samuel, David, Solomon, Peter and James, Thomas. The Bible, lay. I mean, these are great men of faith. Men greatly used of the Lord. And Scripture lays out their sin and their weakness for everybody to see. And you know why that is? So we don't worship those men. The Bible lays these things out in such a way that the the only option we have is to worship and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture lays out the, the faults of these men saved by grace. So we see there's only one perfect man ever lived. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust him. He's my righteousness. Our Savior is perfect in every way. You and I are imperfect in every way. Our Savior is perfect in every way. He's perfect in his obedience. And he's perfect in his love. He became a man and obeyed the law perfectly. He established a perfect righteousness that he would give to his people. And then he willingly made himself sin and offered himself all that he is as a sacrifice to put that sin away. And you know why he did it? For love's sake. He loved his father. He was determined to glorify and satisfy his father. And the only way the father could be glorified is saving his people through the sacrifice of his son. He had to make himself a sacrifice. Our Savior endured everything that he suffered because he also loves his people. And the only way they could be redeemed is if he suffers and dies. Suffers everything that he suffered in order to redeem them. He did it because he loves his people. So the Bible leaves the Lord Jesus Christ as the only option of somebody to worship. The Bible is written to show us Christ. Now I know the whole world doesn't see it, but God's people do. The Bible shows God's elect. If he's given you eyes to see, the Bible shows you the glory of Christ. It shows you his perfection. It shows you his love. It shows you his glory. So he's the only one you want to worship. Not only is he the only option of somebody to worship, he's the only one you want to worship when you see him revealed in Scripture, isn't it? So that's why the Bible presents men the, the way that it does. And if we really know that the best of men are really so far from perfect, they're only sinners, that ought to make us more forgiving, shouldn't it? 
towards each other, more understanding with each other. And that's a, a real necessary thing if we're going to live at peace with one another. And we need that, don't we? Because at best, at best, all we are sinners. So Christ is the only object of worship. And the second thing, which this leads me right to this, is a believer is a sinner still. Now there's no point in hoping that you ever be anything in this life except a sinner saved by grace. There's no point in thinking that you can you can do something, make yourself any better than that in this life, because it'll never happen. My uh, very favorite sports announcer of all time was a man named Keith Jackson. I would listen to Keith Jackson call a game between two teams I hated, just because I wanted to hear Keith Jackson talk. I mean, I just—I mean, he's just—I just loved the guy. And one of my favorite Keith Jackson quotes of all time is this. He said, college football is played by 18-year-olds. And you don't know what an 18-year-old is going to do till he does it. Now, that's true. That's also true of a believer. You just don't know what a believer is going to do until he does it. Don't know. And here's why you don't know is because believers are capable of of any sin and any weakness that an unbeliever has or an unbeliever commits, with the exception of apostasy. A believer can never say, I don't believe on Christ anymore, trust something else, never. But other than that, we're prone to every sin the worst heathen you know of is is prone to. Now that being true, we're not looking at Abraham in a judgmental way here. We're looking at him and identifying with him. A believer understands exactly why Abraham did what he did here. He ought not have done it, but we understand why he did it because his old nature, all these years later, is the same as our old nature. The nature of the flesh hasn't changed one bit. And we just don't know how we'll react until we're put in some of these tough situations. I know how I should act. Absolutely, I know how I should act. But I don't know how I will act until I'm put in those circumstances. Let me give you a few examples. That time Abraham and Sarah went down there to Egypt and Pharaoh took Sarah to be his wife. You know why why they went down to Egypt? Because there was a famine in the land. There wasn't enough to eat where they were. And they went down there to Egypt. That picture of sin and bondage to sin because Abraham heard there was food there. Now, you know, I look back at that in hindsight and we say, oh, Abraham never should have done that. He never never should have done that. He should have trusted in the Lord and stayed right where he was. Just think the heartache. He would have saved himself if he never went down to Egypt. That's what we'd say, isn't it? And that's not wrong. But let me ask you, what are you and I going to do if the Lord ever makes it where there's no food here? And we hear there's food somewhere else. What are we going to do? Huh? David. I'm confident of this. David was a man, an emotional man. He had a friend that he truly loved. And he never would have dreamed he'd commit adultery with his wife. A trusted, close friend. I mean, David just thought, I would never commit adultery with his wife. And I certainly never would have him murdered to cover up my own sin. Oh, I'd never do that. 
David never would have dreamed of such a thing. But one day, the army was out in the field, out of battle. David, the king, should have been with them. But he wasn't. He stayed there in the palace. And because he was someplace he ought not be, he had opportunity to see Bathsheba taking a bath on the rooftop next door. Now, he shouldn't have done that. God help us that we not be tempted, huh? How about Peter? Peter was absolutely confident. He would never deny the Lord. He's so confident, I will die with you. Peter wasn't whistling Dixie when he said that. He meant that. And then the Lord put Peter in a situation in front of a teenage girl where he was tried. And Peter did indeed deny the Lord three times. And we say, Peter shouldn't have done that. The Lord warned him. He should have stayed out of that situation. He never should have done it. The Lord couldn't have been more clear in warning him. He never should have done that. Well, very true. I don't deny that. He, He should have done that. Well, let me ask you, what will you and I do? If we're ever put in a situation where we feel pretty certain we'll be tortured and killed if we say, I know the man. I just I just know him. I just know I just know Jesus of Nazareth. And we'll be tortured and killed for saying it. You gonna say it? I know what I should do. What will I do? I don't know. I'm pretty confident Abraham never dreamed he'd make the same mistake twice. He never dreamed he's going to go someplace and say, Sarah's my sister again. Now, Sarah was a a, a beautiful woman. Lots of kings and powerful men would would like to have such a beautiful wife. And this is what this is the plan they concocted when when Lord told Abraham, get up and go out of your father's house land. I'll show you. As they were leaving, this is the plan they concocted. We're going to tell everybody we meet you're my sister. So somebody doesn't kill me. I like how Abraham said that. Say that so they don't kill me so it'll be well for your sake. I don't know, men. I mean, I know, men. It's just to, uh, ladies, you just, you just have to, to be patient with us. I mean, I've just, I've said this before, men are low hanging fruit. I mean, there's just no excuse for us. What? Now, you'd think they'd change that policy after they left Egypt and Pharaoh embarrassed them. Don't you think? I mean, Pharaoh, this heathen had to tell Abraham, the righteous man, what's right and wrong. <laughs> You'd think he'd have been so embarrassed. He just, I, I, we're not, Sarah, we're not doing this ever again. But they didn't. They didn't. And Abraham committed the same heinous sin all over again. Now, why on earth would he do that? Because Abraham's sin nature was still with him. And 25 years later, after all of God's blessing to him, after all of God's revelation to him, Abraham's sin nature hadn't got one whit better. Our sin nature can't learn right. And it can't stop sinning. And listen, it's not that Abraham didn't know what he was doing was wrong. He knew Abimelech is a Philistine king And the Philistine knew adultery was wrong. And he knew it long before God ever gave the law to to Moses at Sinai. Look at verse 9 here in our text. Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, 
What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not be done. He's, he's correcting Abraham here. Abimelech knew that this was wrong. And he just couldn't believe that Abraham put him in this situation. It's a, it's a solemn warning to us on many, many levels. The heathen is the one acting better than the believer here, isn't he? You know, you know there's never an excuse for sin. The believer ought to always conduct themselves honestly and, and, and righteously and, and uh, in faith. But be mighty careful of taking a snapshot of a person, a man or a woman, just any individual time, because you don't know. If you'd have took a snapshot here, you'd have thought Abimelech was the one that knew the Lord, and Abraham was the heathen. Not so. Not so. And I'll tell you, here's even, even when we're called on it. My goodness. Look at verse 12. This is such a good example of our sin nature. Abraham says, and, and yet indeed, she is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. <laughs> Abraham knew he was wrong. He got called on the carpet for this, and he's still trying to justify himself. <laughs> and you know what? Again, there's not a person in this room can be hard on Abraham. Because this is man's big problem. Trying to justify himself. Adam in the garden. As soon as he ate that fruit, what was he trying? He was trying to justify himself. To the extent he'd say, God, this is your fault. If you hadn't made the woman, I wouldn't have done this. This is man's problem, trying to justify ourselves rather than begging for forgiveness and trusting the Lord. I say this often, I think it's worth repeating. We will never be forgiven of our sin. And we've never really confessed our sin until we see my sin is all my fault. There's no excuses for it. There's no reasons to justify it. I'm guilty and what I deserve is for God to damn me. And I'm not confessing my sin until I mean that. I mean, that's easy to say, but do you mean it? Do I mean it? I deserve for God to send me to hell. Now the Lord sees everything. He sees our guilt. And for He forgives us of our sin, He's going to make us see our guilt. For He makes us righteous in Christ. But as long as we're in this world, we will be sinners still. At best, a sinner saved by grace. Which brings me to the third thing. God's elect are saved by grace. By pure grace in Christ Jesus. Did the thought cross your mind why didn't the Lord finally run out of patience with Abraham? Okay, the Lord bore with him the first time. But now this is too much. Why didn't the Lord just finally run out of patience with Abraham and destroy Abraham for his sin? Well, first of all, because God saves his people by grace. The Lord did not punish Abraham for his sin. Instead, the Lord blessed Abraham. Look at verse 14. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and woman servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him, Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. 
And he said, and unto Sarah he said, Behold, I've given thy brother, and I think it's interesting there, I think he's being pretty sarcastic there, your brother. <laughs> I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Now, that make you wonder? Abraham went down there to this uh, Gerar where he was sojourning. When he went down there, he's already a wealthy man. And now he did wrong. I mean, repeatedly. He did he repeated the same sin. And what did the Lord do? The Lord gave him more riches. He gave him more livestock and more servants and more silver. It gave him the pick of the land. He had the pick of Gerar, wherever he wanted. He had the pick of it to live on. And we'll think, you know, that's not right. It's not fair that Abraham did wrong and God blessed him by taking from Abimelech. That doesn't seem right. Well, man, I guess you're right. The Lord did not give Abraham what he deserved, did he? But the Lord doesn't give any of his people what they deserve. The Lord does not give his people what's fair, what they've earned. The Lord gives his people mercy. The Lord saves his people by grace. And by his grace alone. And when I say grace alone, this is what I mean. Without any of our acts, without any of our works, without any of our morality, without any of our act right, add to it. It's grace alone without one iota input from me. The Lord does not give his people what's fair. Instead, he gives his people what Christ earned. By his obedience. Not what we've earned by our sin. And you know why he could give us what Christ earned? Because he gave the Savior what we earned. He gave the Savior the suffering and the death that we deserve. So he could be merciful and gracious to his people. I tell you, I don't want the Lord to give me what I deserve to you. I don't want the Lord to give me what's fair because of how I act. I want the Lord to deal with me in mercy and grace. Because that's the only way I can be saved. That's the only way God could not destroy me. Is that true of you? I don't want God to give me what I deserve. I want God to be merciful. I want God to save me by His grace. I want God to keep me by His grace. So why didn't the, the Lord run out of patience with Abraham? Why didn't He destroy him for his sin? Well, it's because God saves His people by His grace. And secondly, it's because God sees all of his people in Christ. Not in ourselves, but in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came in the flesh as the representative of his people. And he did what none of us could ever do. He obeyed God's law perfectly. And in Christ, God puts us in Christ by faith in Christ. And get hold of your seat here. Where is perfect is the son of God himself. Because we are in him. We are what he is. And this story is a good picture of salvation by grace in Christ Jesus. Now you think about when God created Adam. Put Adam in the garden. I'm telling you, Adam had it pretty good, didn't he? I mean, he had it good. God provided Adam everything he could want and more. God created Adam upright. He created him innocent. 
But Adam could lose his innocence if he disobeyed one law. He only had one rule. The law of Moses is pages and pages and pages and pages and pages. Adam had one rule. One. And he couldn't keep it. And he lost his innocency. Well, in Christ, we're restored. Abimelech restored Sarah to, to Abraham. In Christ, we're restored. <laughs> Sarah was restored to the same old fella that said, say you're my sister. I won't say anything more about that. Um, I know what Janet Tate would have said about that deal. I don't know about what Sarah said about it, but I mean, I just, you know, they had a conversation, I'm sure. But the believer, restored in Christ Jesus, we're not restored just back to the same old fella, back to Adam. We're restored far better than we ever were in Adam. We're restored far better than Adam ever was in the garden. See, in the garden, Adam had an innocency he could lose, didn't he? And he lost it. In Christ, we have a righteousness we can never lose. In the garden, Adam had life he could lose. And the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In Christ, we have life we can never lose. That's why it's called eternal life. In Christ, we cannot be found guilty of any sin. Because Christ has made us perfect. And when any man does sin in this life, remember the best we can be is sinner saved by grace. Well, what about when we sin like Abraham did? What about when I commit the same sin over and over and over again? Well, when any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. When we sin over and over and over again, we have an advocate. And our advocate is also our righteousness. He knows better than anybody else we're righteous. He knows better than anybody else that sin is forgiven because he suffered and died to put it away. And that's what's pictured here. Look at verse 7. This is God here. He's speaking to Abimelech. He says, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he's a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. In verse 17, So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech, and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now do you think this had to irk old Abimelech? The Lord told him, you go to Abraham. He's a prophet. He'll pray for you and you'll live. And Abimelech thought, I got to go to this fella who did wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't know anything was going on. I got to go to this fella who did wrong and put me into this position and I got to ask him to pray for me. That's the only way I can be healed of this plague? That's the only Yes. Yes. That's God's way. And that's what, that's what happened. And I'll tell you why the Lord did it this way. Because it's a picture of Christ. This flesh loves the flesh. Period. End of conversation. The flesh loves the flesh. And the flesh despises above all things the man, Jesus Christ. 
But the one and only way you and I can be saved is if we beg him for mercy. Is if this hated man, Jesus of Nazareth, suffers and dies in our place. It's the only way we can be saved. The only way our sin can be forgiven is if he prays for us and pleads his blood as the reason our sin would be forgiven. And you know what? That's what always happens to God's elect. We're always righteous in Christ. Forgiven and made righteous in Christ. And we're always weak in ourselves. So as long as we're in this world, we're going to live with this mixture. Unbelief and righteousness. And we're going to live with it till Christ comes. And takes us home to be with Him. And then we won't put up with this anymore. No more of this two natures. No more of this unbelief. No more of this sin. Perfect conformity to the image of Christ our Savior. That's the ultimate end of everything God's doing. To ultimately glorify His people and make them every last one just like His Son. Isn't that a blessing? All right, let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, how we thank You for Your Word. How we thank you for another clear picture of Christ our Savior. Father, I pray that you give each of us here faith to look to him and, and rely upon him, to, to rest in him. Father, we pray that you'd forgive us of our sins and our trespasses over and over and over again. And how thankful we are to plead the blood of Christ our Savior that cleanses us from all sin. Father, we thank you. All these things we ask and thank you, praise you in the name of Christ our Savior. It's in his name, for his sake we pray. Amen.